back then you couldn't run to uh, an EEO department. Um, there was no conversation about Title VII. Uh, a lot of the battles that back then that you experienced in working with your peers, you just had to stand tall and let them know who you were um, and what you were not going to take. listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. Hey, how's it going, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Black and Blue Podcast, where we celebrate diversity in U.S. law enforcement. If this is your first time here, let me introduce myself. My name is Dale, and I'm the host. And if you're a returning patron of the show, I want to thank you for finding your way back. If you want to continue supporting the show, head on over to the Black and Blue Podcast YouTube channel and crush those like and subscribe buttons. And don't forget, smash that bell icon as well so you don't miss any new content. And if you're listening to me on your favorite podcast platform of choice, please make sure you rate the Black and Blue Podcast five stars. And lastly, be sure to check out the Black and Blue Podcast social media pages. You can find me everywhere at Black and Blue US. All right, so my guest today is the Chief of Police of the Houston Metro Transit Police Department in Houston, Texas. Everybody. Please help me give an emphatic black and blue welcome to Chief Vera Bumpers. How you doing, ma'am? I'm doing great, Dale. Thank you so much for that great introduction. Even with the <laughs> hand claps, I appreciate that. Yes, yes. I keep telling people they, they are actually here, the kids, the whole crowd. This is yes. live in, a, in front of a studio audience like they used to do back in the day. Real <laughs> They're all back there. Yeah, you can actually yeah. see them if you see them back there. I got the Green Lantern and Storm and, and President Obama and Ice yeah. Cube and Easy E. They're all here, all Very cheering right. you on. <laughs> Good. Well, we all need cheering. Yes, yes, we do, actually. So, yeah, so I mentioned that you are the chief of police uh, out in Houston, uh, the yes. Metro Houston Transit Police Department. First, tell everybody a little about what's going on in Houston right now. Is How's the weather? What, what's going on in Houston real quick? Well, the weather is beautiful. Um, not our typical um, winter yet, what we call winter. It's been very nice, and we appreciate that because our summers are brutal. So the weather's been very nice. But, uh, of course, I'm sure everybody's been paying attention to uh, what happened at the Astroworld event, uh, Travis Scott concert. And, of course, our condolences and prayers go out to the families who lost loved ones and definitely prayers for those who are still hospitalized. It was, uh, you know, a fun event that, you know, unfortunately there was a tragedy, but we do lift up those persons who uh, are experiencing that. And even uh, praying for those who uh, Travis Scott and everybody that was there, I know that was never the intent. The intent was to have a good time and have a good show. 
So we just pray for everyone that's involved and uh, that has made definitely local news every day, all day, and uh, national news now also. Yeah, yeah, that was that was terrible when I saw that on the news. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, prayers and, and condolences go out to, to those families, everyone that was lost. So yeah, terrible, terrible incident over there. What, was your agency involved in, in any of that, the traffic control? No, any we of did the- not. We did not. It uh, did not impact us at all. Uh, and just based on just what I'm hearing, uh, I think they probably had more security guards, sounds like, uh, than law enforcement. I don't know all the details, but I know Houston Police Department as well as Houston Fire Department responded quickly, and they did have personnel there on the ground. So. Uh, I think they're responding so quickly, um, probably saved some lives, and it could have been much, much worse. So, uh, but yeah. we, our agency was not involved. Okay. Well, speaking of your agency, uh, Houston Metro Transit Police, tell everybody a little bit about the agency. Okay. Uh, our agency currently has about 240 uniformed officers and about 100 civilian personnel which the civilians encompass uh, civilian fare inspectors is what we call them, as well as our dispatchers. Uh, we have a motorist assistance program and, and our records clerks and uh, our clerical staff, of course. And the uniform personnel, uh, we go everywhere Metro goes. So 1,300 square miles is what Metro covers. Of course, with 240 people, that's a lot of territory. So we definitely have strong working relationships with our law enforcement partners. And uh, right now our coverage is where the bus routes and definitely where our train uh, travels 25 miles of uh, light rail train. Okay. Well, what is the function of the Metro Transit PD? What, what do you guys actually do? Well, we are um, just certified peace officers in the state of Texas, just like any other peace officer. But our focus is on metro property, um, safeguarding the property, patrons, and employees of metro. So wherever metro is, that's where we go. A lot of times I like to tell people we're probably, our jurisdiction is probably the largest after Texas Department of Public Safety, which covers the state of Texas. So what we do is just focus on making sure that our customers using our system have a safe and reliable clean ride and as well as our employees are safe and then there are areas surrounding our system that of course we don't just close our eyes and just focus on that if we see something occurring around our system we also will respond or react and uh, we are only only difference with us and any other police department is who pays us so uh, our officers are highly trained in law enforcement and definitely certified in the state of Texas. That's great. That's great. And so you said uh, the system is buses and light rail? Yeah, buses and light rail. We have more bus service than light rail, of course, and uh, going throughout and at 1300 square miles, of course, is park and ride service, uh, local bus service. And then our light rail mainly runs through downtown from uh, north to south end. And uh, of course, we're hoping that it expands one day. I'm sure it will. We also have a bus rapid transit system, which we call the BRT system, which is kind of a combination of where you might think it's a bus system, but it's sort of lining up with a rail platform. And so that 
particular system runs in our uh, Galleria area. And it just started last year. So uh, we're pretty excited about that coming on board also. All right. All right. I'll talk a little bit more about the system here in a little bit, but uh, you yourself, how, how long have you been with uh, Metro? I have been with Metro Police Department for 40 years. Oh, wow. Wow. Lifer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're a lifer Time there, goes huh? fast. I, I just doesn't even, it does not seem like it. Um, I started out of college and so just been here. It never was my plan to stay, but I always tell people, you know, God has another plan and just kind of directed my path. Never was my plan to be a chief. That was not on my bucket list either. But uh, as I stayed, uh, doors of opportunity open, and uh, here I am. So I've been the chief now for six years. Okay, okay. So obviously you started from patrol patrol officer yes. and moved your way up. Uh, yes. When you first started with Metro, were you always in the police department, or did you start it somewhere else like a, a driver or anything? No, I was always in the police department. And uh, I was the first black female at every rank in the police department, from officer to sergeant to lieutenant to uh, captain, assistant chief, and now chief. So right. I have some milestones and definitely some first in uh, yeah. every area. So I was the second female hired by the department when I was hired. And the first female, white female that was hired she resigned probably six months after I got there and she decided to go be a lawyer, which was probably smart on her part <laughs> and uh, make more money and yeah, not work sure. the streets. But so I was the only female for a little while and then we started to, they started to hire more. Uh, we were very small back then also, but uh, we've grown leaps and bounds from when I first started with this very yeah. small police department. Yeah, yeah. But, but now it's grown into a, a large agency. What, what attracted you to Metro way back 40 years ago, you said? Well, I think when I graduated college and a friend of mine um, came to Houston and he was working as the assistant chief and he called me. We graduated together and he immediately came here after graduation and he called me and said, do you want to come work in Houston? I was living in uh, Austin at the time. And I said, yeah, why not? And uh, so I just came and he hired me. Didn't even have to go through a long, drawn-out background process back then. Uh, a lot of hiring in those days were, was who you know. And so I filled out my application and he said, you're hired. So I started that next week. And uh, so that's how I ended up here. But, and he soon uh, left and went on to do other things. But I do credit him for being here and being in law enforcement. Oh, wow. Wow. So you were you did you have to go to the academy at some yes. point? Were you grandfathered yes. in or? Mm -hmm. I went through Harris County Sheriff's uh, Department Academy. And yep. back then is that's the academy that Metro would send officers through that were not certified. But we prefer officers who are already state certified so we don't have to send them through an academy. But now we use uh, Houston Community College Academy. But when I came in, we used Harris County. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know um, a lot of agencies are having a hard time finding personnel nowadays. How's that hitting your agency or, or has it hit your agency? Yeah. I, I always say we all are fishing from the same pond and we just have to be strategic about our fishing. 
and we've not had a hard time uh, getting applicants in, but our issue has been, I'm sure like other agencies, is qualified applicants that where there's nothing in your background. And uh, that has been an issue. Um, credit, um, those small things that will cause you issues that you don't think about when you're younger, but down the road, of course, um, most agencies will do a thorough background and credit is a part of that. So we've seen that. We've um, told people who had the credit issue, you know, go back, work on it, and then come back. Because that's, on, you know, you can fix that. It can be repaired. But I just don't think people ever think and take the time. Right, so we've right. had applicants that uh, we did not hire, but they went and repaired their credit and came back. And so uh, they were able to get hired. All right. So it, it's, yeah. it hasn't been a huge issue for us. And we have been doing good in the retention area also. We've not seen officers leaving um, in droves like some police departments. And those who have left, um, I had a couple left, but both told me they were getting out of law enforcement. And they were very young in their careers, so it wasn't like they've been doing this for a while. Um, both of them were less than five years, and I guess they just realized they just, you know, uh, it wasn't what you see on TV. There's a lot of paperwork involved now, a lot yep. involved with whatever you do in this business when it comes to documentation. So a lot of things have changed, even our processing here in Houston, where we all have go through the Joint Processing Center, which is ran by Harris County Sheriff's Department. So all agencies grow through that process, and it's a pretty lengthy process depending on what charges you're filing. And so there are some who may feel like that's just it's just too much. The patience kick, it does, has not kicked in for them. So, but we, we're doing good, I think, in the retention area and as far as uh, recruiting good candidates. Okay. All right. I know uh, you and I talked off air about, uh, you know, why I started this. And part of what we were going to talk about is, uh, you know, we're both African-Americans and we're both mm -hmm. in law enforcement. What, what's like the makeup of, of your agency? Do you find that you're able to recruit a, a lot of uh, minorities at Metro? Yes, um, and I'm, I'm really proud of the fact, I know for females, the average in the country is about, and women in law enforcement is about 13%, and our department is at 19%, uh, women personnel. And then as far as our um, makeup as African Americans, we're about 35%. Um, Hispanics, we're at... Uh, over 30% and whites, uh, we're probably around 20%. So, you know, we are, we're trying our best to ensure that we're well-rounded and have a diverse department. And again, when I talked about being strategic, when I send um, personnel out to recruiting events, it's just not the recruiters in the department. I select officers who work the streets and I'm very specific about who I want and make sure that we are representative of the community that we serve. Yes, so I yes. will make sure that those that are going out um, so we can attract because when you're trying to recruit people at academies and we've mainly been going to academies, people want to see someone that looks like them. And so we are 
definitely having to put on our thinking cap and come outside of the box and do some different things for recruiting. But I am um, comfortable with our numbers. Uh, I'd like to see uh, in some areas a little higher, but I think that if we keep working at it, uh, that will improve. But so far, you know, we're moving forward in that area um, of, of recruiting personnel that are reflective of the community that we serve. Right, right. And right now you just mentioned the, the numbers, the percentage of females in your agency. And you remember way back when you got hired, you were one of two and then the other yeah. one left. How has that, uh, that career pr progression been for you being a female in this, in this male-dominated profession? Uh, I was sharing with a couple of sergeants today that um, I have uh, several trunks of T-shirts. <laughs> been there, done that, and have the T-shirts, as people will say. Um, of things that I've experienced. And I share a lot with supervisors and officers now of uh, things that I experienced, and mainly because I learned so many lessons from those experiences. And I will never say it was easy. There were a lot of days it was tough because back then you couldn't run to an uh, EEO department. Um, there was no conversation about Title VII. Uh, a lot of the battles that back then that you experienced in working with your peers, you just had to stand tall and let them know who you were um, and what you were not going to take. And so you, you became very strong in that area based on experiences uh, that you encountered. Um, definitely negative experiences, but then those positive experiences where you know you could use those for teachable moments for other people um, where you could take a negative situation and share where people just didn't understand, they didn't know, and be able to share to make them change that behavior. So it, back then, you know, we kind of, we fought our own battles and uh, tried to make um, every situation something that we could learn from and grow from. And uh, I always tell people, you know, the, the battle scars are evidence that you survived. And hopefully you can share with someone else so they won't have to go through what you went through. But there are so many programs now and so many avenues where uh, people can speak up and speak out about situations and they don't have to go through many of the things we experienced back then. Yeah, so you were a trailblazer in that regard and we yeah. appreciate you and everything that you had to go through. Sorry you had to go through it, um, but, you know, it made you stronger, made you uh, want to do more things in your own department and uh, you know speaking of your department what what sort of uh, you know collateral duties is there within Metro you know just for people watching here and thinking about that they want to go apply for uh, Houston Metro yeah well we have definitely um, our police officers which we're divided half of our officers work rail where they're assigned to nothing but the rail uh, light rail and then the other officers work patrol where they patrol in districts where the bus routes run and park and rides um, anywhere we have a metro facility outside of the rail line and then we have our civilian fare inspectors we have about uh, 60 civilian fare inspectors and we're expanding that division also with the addition of our bus rapid transit so we will be adding on more fare inspectors and all they do is check fares. They're really ambassadors on the rail line for Metro. 
which they will share information, people who may need direction. Um, they make sure that you have your cue card um, when you're using a system, give you assistance. If you're just visiting in town, you're not familiar with purchasing the ticket or cue card. And so they're definitely um, a positive on our system, the rail system, uh, as far as ambassadors. And we also have what we call our MAP assistance, motorist assistance program. Those are MAP operators. And they drive around in trucks and they're pretty much they're there to help people who are stranded. They direct traffic. Uh, they work on our HOV lanes to make sure it's, there's no uh, debris. Uh, we make sure that they're used in many a variety of ways, but they're civilians also. And then, of course, we have our dispatchers. We work in um, at Transstar, which is a, a unified transit uh, unified command center, where Harris County has dispatchers in there. We have our operators operator dispatchers that are in there. Uh, Houston Police Department has personnel in there. So um, that is, uh, if you've ever watched any of the press conferences when we have bad weather here in Houston and everybody is at that particular facility broadcasting from there to give updates and reports about what's going on when we have major events such as a weather event and that's pretty much it up for our civilian and then of course we have our records division so we definitely are hiring and Metro is hiring in many areas. So if you're interested, please go to www.ridemetro.org. As a matter of fact, we just hired a young man and he's from New York and I think he starts next week. Wow. So New York he made will that be, move, huh? yes, he will. Uh, we hired him as a um, supervisor over our civilian fare inspectors. Okay. Okay. And do you have a part of uh, hiring all those sort of people as well, or is that another division of hires? No, we have a we do that. We um, you know HR they go through HR, but we do our own interviews, um, selections, and then we send them through the process after we do the selecting. All right. And what what sort of assignments? I know you you mentioned you were the first officer, you're the first sergeant, first uh, you know first everything seems like mm -hmm. in that department <laughs> as far as a female female goes what what sort of things have you done there well i was in the ied sergeant um did backgrounds and recruiting uh training sergeant i was over our special operations unit lieutenant over that unit i've been a patrol lieutenant um let me see what else i, I was the lieutenant over our uh, high occupancy vehicle lanes that is where we utilize our map operators. And so I was the lieutenant over that area for a while. I was the captain over patrol. And uh, then, you know, with assistant chief, so I kind of had a little bit of everything. So I've pretty much done everything there in the department. I tried to keep myself very engaged, even from an officer and at every rank. I was always engaged, not only internally, but externally. I try real hard to make sure that we continue to build bridges with the community and stay engaged with the community. A lot of people, even though Metro has been around for 40 years, I will still hear people in Houston say, I didn't know Metro had their own police department. So we really work hard to make sure that the citizens know that we're here. Uh, one of the things, mostly every agency in the Houston area wears a navy blue uniform. 
So a lot of times when people see the uniform, they just see police. They don't really yeah. read the small print. And so I believe at times that is probably the reason why some people don't know. And I'll let, let them know we've been around for a long time. And I'm not sure why you don't know that. <laughs> but we've worked real hard to get our name out and our brand out to let people know that we are here. And uh, yeah. we want to make sure that we're integrated and doing some community activities also. So we do a lot of volunteering in the community. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, law enforcement, we talked about earlier, law enforcement has been taking a lot of hits in the last few years uh, due to, you know, all those circumstances. And you know, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, you know, all these cases that just keep popping up. Mm-hmm. How has that affected your department? I know you said a lot of people don't even really know that Metro has a department. So, uh, within the African American community, does it, you know, does it make a difference to them that you know you're you're Metro and you're not Houston proper police department, or th- does it really matter to them? I think that it does matter who we are and what we do, um, and I definitely appreciate uh, Chief Fenner, who is the chief of Houston Police Department, as well as uh, Sheriff Gonzalez. They have been excellent partners uh, to us and definitely been very supportive of our agency. They include us in any uh, events that are going on that their agency is the lead. They will make sure that we know about it. They'll include us in the meetings and not only us, but the other smaller agencies in the region. And over the last few years, I've seen that change because you know, there was a time if you're the predominant agency in a city where you are the main person, you got all the manpower, that is pretty much us and no more. But I have seen over the last few years that I don't care if you're a 5,000 man department or a 50 man department, at the end of the day, we all need each other and we need to work together. So I've seen that change, which is a, a great change, I think in this profession where law enforcement has said, let's come together to make a difference. So when they have special events, they invite us and we've made sure we got our name out there. I know after the George Floyd murder, I wanted to make sure that our voice was heard uh, internally and externally. So I immediately sent our personnel an, an email after the event and wanted them to know that I, I thought it was a tragedy, it was a murder, um, my personal opinion about it, but I wanted them also to know that we're going to have a high standard. We're going to respect people, whether we're taking them to jail or we're giving them directions. So I wanted to set the tone for us. And if you need to talk to someone, I wanted them to know because you know law enforcement was getting hit hard. And some of these young officers, they were just confused and like, what's going on? So I wanted them to know that inside the building is a safe space. But once we leave, you know, and you can talk about anything, your views, but once we leave, we're all on the same accord and we're going to treat people with respect. And so I did that. And then I immediately had a meeting with our field training officers because I knew that uh, Chauvin was a field training officer when that incident occurred. And sometimes, in my opinion, I think uh, a lot of times field training officers will show out in front of the recruits. So I wanted our field training officers to know that I would let anyone new come in that we're training, let them know if you see your field training officer crossing the line, that you have an obligation to intervene. So we do have that policy and we had the policy before that happened, duty to intervene. 
Uh, we had the policy on no chokeholds before it happened. So I just did a self-examination of our agency, our policies, uh, made sure I met with officers, put my position out, and just kind of emphasize or reiterated that we're going to operate on a professional level and with integrity and treat everybody with respect. So I just felt it was necessary to get that message out. And but I, you know, I've seen um, just such a negative against law enforcement, and it's really sad. Uh, I we participated in the 9/11 Heroes uh, recognition during the Houston Texan football game in September, and it was law enforcement from all agencies that it, that we rolled out the flag on the field. So when we ran out, all that we were all in uniform, taking the flag on the field. And then I heard people in the stands booing and it shocked me. I said, are they booing the police? And everybody kind of looked at me. I had never, you know, never would I have thought I'd witnessed that. And we're talking about September, 2021. So we're past all of everything, but that attitude is still there. And it just told me we have so much more work to do to educate, to elevate our brand, to help people understand that we're just as outraged when a police officer crosses the line. Is police officers hate a bad cop more than anybody else. So I just it, it was really disheartening to hear the booze and Everybody was all the other officers that were there like, yeah, they were booing, but I was just out, you know, just kind of shocked, I guess. And maybe I shouldn't have been, but I was. So I'm, I think we all have to do our individual part and then our part as agencies to continue to work hard to build those bridges and, and reestablish that respect that was there for law enforcement for years and years and years. And it's not everybody, it's just that small few um, that still you know is holding that against all law enforcement yeah yeah unfortunately we we kind of got that uh that stigma right now that we it's kind of hard to wash off but if if we keep doing what we're supposed to be doing professionally for our communities you know eventually we'll get back to you know things always you know like a pendulum they, they swing yes. back and forth and yes. now we're on the wrong side of it and hopefully it'll swing back to the towards the middle here pretty soon but yes. it's gonna take a lot of work it, uh, it will. And it takes all of us being committed to the work. Um, yep. Yep. You know, I think that's why you see so many chief openings now and you see a lot of chief openings, you see a lot of police officer openings. It's it's work. It, it's going, it's a lot of work and you have to be committed to it. But I think it starts at the top and the top sets the tone. I know you mentioned you mentioned a little bit ago that uh, you know FTOs showing out in front of their trainees, and you wanted to get that message out that you know trainees are obligated to speak up if they see that, you know other officers and you know and their training and their trainers, their FTOs out doing something wrong. Um, you believe that's easier said than done, though. I mean, because they're they're the ones riding in that car with them. That the FTO has their, you know, quite frankly, their career in their hands. If they give them that bad uh, that bad evaluation for you know for that time that they're riding with them, they may be out on the street. One of the reasons I, I have we have a field training coordinator, and I am I had a meeting with him yesterday. I told him it's very important that he reads the uh, we call them DRs, the daily observation reports, uh, from each day. It's very important that he has 
uh, meeting, one-on-one -on -one meeting with the, with the uh, probationary officer and that he meets with the field training officer, you have to stay engaged and you should be able to catch some of those signs and justify and make them justify what they put on the report. If it's negative, you need to justify and explain to me why. So I told him, you just don't sign off on it and push it through, but we are going to dig deep to make sure that there, there are no inequities and the person is being treated fairly. So if there are deficiencies, that needs to be noted and that needs to be explained what those deficiencies are and the person needs to know, the probationary officer. And it may be something going on with him. I told him life happens and we all experience life issues. Sometimes you can bring that to work. Everybody does not know how to compartmentalize and leave that life issues. And it's hard sometimes. So I told him it's the engagement is the critical thing. And I will walk up myself and just someone new. How's it going? Let's talk. You having any issues? You know, feel free. And I had a meeting with them before they went into the program and throughout the program. I'll make sure that every now and then I just reach out. How's everything going? And once you make that probationary officer feel comfortable that leadership has their back and that we're just not going to take anything that is written without supporting documentation. I think that will start the change and you'll see where they will open up. I've had probationary officers open up to me where they had just said, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm being treated right. It wasn't documented, but it's just things that were said in the car. Because sometimes it's verbalized mm -hmm. and people can feel mistreated just verbally. So we addressed it and I did not ever want them to feel like they cannot open up to, not only to me, but anyone in leadership. And I said that we're all here to ensure that you're successful. If you fail, it's because of you. It's not because we weren't here to support. Yeah. You know what? It's, it's a fine line, though, Chief, because I know I hear the, the grumblings, in, at least in my agency, and I'm sure in yours and, and across the country, that since, you know, we're all fishing in the same pool and it's hard to get applicants nowadays, that, you know, our agencies are pushing people through, whether it be the academy or the FTO program, because we don't want to lose them because we, we need bodies. And... You know, you'll have FTOs that give them bad DORs, give them bad evals on the day or the whole time, they're, the four weeks they're riding with them. But, you know, management pushes them through for whatever reason. Um, you know, so it's that it's that fine line, that balance. It is. And I had to change when I became chief because that was one of the narratives that was out there. Doesn't matter what you, you they're still going to push them through because it, but I had to definitely explain to them that that is not the position that I take. If a person, because that will hurt us in the long run, if a person's not yep. passing, it, it does nothing. It becomes a liability for us. And so I'm. if you can articulate it to me, I definitely, and show me documented proof, I am not going to support passing a person on. And so we've shown that um, where we've had a couple people that we did not pass on. And I always explain to the person, it's not only for us, but it's for you. Uh, the last thing I want to do is go to tell somebody's family that they were killed because of negligence, a failure to yeah. act. Just all of those officer safety issues, those are not something that we can compromise on ever when it comes to officer safety because it's not only your safety, it's the safety of the citizens or another officer. 
So I would hope that most agencies will, you know, change that narrative. <laughs> Hopefully, I, I know everybody's desperate for people, but I'd rather have that small quality than that large quantity that uh, saying just because we have bodies and take the chance of an innocent person being killed. Uh, the effects of that, as we've seen already, are long lasting, not only on that agency, but everybody that wears a badge. Mm -hmm. Agree, agree, 100%, 100%. So you are uh, an African-American female chief. And, uh, you know, my, my co-host on the live show I do with, uh, you know, I work with her, uh, Elizabeth, if, if you're watching this show here, um, you know, <laughs> she's always had aspirations as well as moving up. How, how about your aspirations? How, how did you move up? Did you have a mentor, uh, somebody that you look to in your agency, whether it be male or female, um, to kind of help you along the way? I had a male mentor and, um, and he um, really did encourage me. He pushed me. Uh, he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself and he would always push me out there and I was hesitant and he would always let me know you can do it, encourage me, but he was also tough on me. I would come and whine about an issue and he, and he would pretty much tell me, you know what, suck it up. You got this, get back out there. It wasn't like, okay, who bothered you? What's wrong? So, and he would let me know when I made mistakes. And I tell people he was a person that would give it to you straight, no chaser. He didn't sugarcoat it. This is what you did wrong. How you handled this situation was wrong. Um, you know, you need, this is the training you need to go to. This is the area you need to try to improve in. So he was definitely a mentor for me. And then I had women that I saw from afar that weren't even in the city. Um, one in particular, like Jackie Barrett, she was a sheriff in Atlanta and Beverly Harvard, the first black female Atlanta PD chief. And I didn't know them. I'm in Texas, but I watched them from afar. I was involved in Noble at the time, National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. So I had an opportunity to listen to these women on panels at our conferences. I had an opportunity to watch them move in that space at the conference, interact with people, whether it's in the hallway, over coffee, at the uh, luncheon, at the table. So those interactions were very instrumental for me in moving me forward, I think. And I always say more is caught than taught. Uh, we can read books, go to training all the time, but it's nothing like seeing a, a live example of somebody that has achieved what you'd like to aspire to. They've achieved it and the way they conduct themselves. And we can you know, we can learn on both sides. You can learn what not to do also. So I think for me, that is, is what really encouraged me. And I said earlier that chief was not on my bucket list. I figure I'll do assistant chief and I'll retire there and I'll be good. And I didn't apply for the chief's job. I'd only been assistant chief for two weeks and the CEO called me and I'm thinking, well, he's probably calling me to say I'm doing a good job. I've only been doing it two weeks. But when he called me, it was a four o'clock um, on a Thursday and he said, I need to meet with you. 
And when I came in and I'm waiting, and he says, um, I have, I want to let you know, I'm going to make you the chief. And I was, I said, you sure? That was my first thing out of my mouth. I said, I've been sure? chief, assistant chief Me? two weeks. <laughs> Me? I said, are you sure? And he said, and you know, something that he said that will always stay with me, he said, you're ready. He said, you're ready. So I always share that story with people to let them know. Sometimes people see something in you that you don't see in yourself. And just looking back, all of the conferences I attended, all the conversations, me watching other women leaders from afar, all of that prepared me for him to say, you're ready. So I tell people, you don't have time to get ready. Always be preparing yourself so you you stay ready. So when your name is called, uh, you don't have to try to figure it out. And I um, I did say, can I think about it? And I remember I went, I came out, and I called my husband, and I said, they want me to be the chief, and he's like, what's the problem? <laughs> you should do it. <laughs> and then I after I hung up with him, I, I sat there and I prayed, and I said, God, why now? You know, it's the fourth quarter of my career. And he said, this is not about you. It's about purpose. So we always have to understand that they can never pay us enough in these leadership roles. I don't care what leadership role you're in. If you're a sergeant, lieutenant, captain, chief, they can never pay you enough for the sacrifice that you make to be that leader. But always know that it's for a greater purpose than you. And whether we reach one person, that could be the purpose. Right. All right. Love that message. Great message. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love that, you know, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It uh, interviewed uh, Chief Victorian a little oh, while yeah. back. And she, yeah. Yeah. She used to be in Houston. Now she's down in Waco. Right. So, yeah, I had a lot of, a lot of the good, the same messages there. So, yeah. Yeah. That's my good friend. I, I really, okay. yeah, we're very good friends. I texted her the other day uh, just to say hi and told her we miss her in Houston. Uh, she uh, was my um, keynote speaker at our women's um, conference two years ago. And so the ladies loved her and were really excited. She had a great message uh, poured into these ladies and it was it was truly a blessing. So we had our, our our officers from my department there, and then I had invited women from other departments in the area. So it was a, a great conference, and she did an excellent job. Yeah, yeah, she did. Uh, I'd love to have you on. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, my my live co-host. We do uh, you know leadership uh, live streams every now and then. So I'd love to have you on. That you sound like you got a great message. The other, not not just women, other people. Yes. Would love to hear, yes. you know, me included. I try, so. I try to, you know, the men too. I, again, like I had a, I call it my little yeah, nugget session. Too. We're people too. Yeah, you are. You are. <laughs> Two of the guys today, I said, I had a little nugget session with them. And so, and that's kind of what it is. You know, they kind of stop. We start talking. I just share little nuggets with them and encourage them. As, and they're both sergeants. And uh, today we just kind of sharing some nuggets and letting them know they're doing a good job. And I, I do believe in that, letting people know when they're doing a good job and uh, encouraging them and sharing just from my experiences. And I told them, I said, what, what I share is from experience. Uh, and so some of the things I've gone through that you don't have to go through as a leader because you're going to have bumps in the road. This is there's no smooth sailing here. Yeah. Uh, but, and again, everything is not in the book. No, 
is. T- and like we always tell the trainees when they come out to the academy, what, what you learn in the academy is, you know, that's a controlled environment. This out here that ain't <laughs> no controlled it. environment. So, you know, nope. uh, put put your ears on, you know, clean out your ears and, and keep yeah. your eyes open. Yes. Keep your head on the swivel. Yes. I know you mentioned earlier, you mentioned earlier about, you You know, you, you spoke to your husband about taking the, uh, the chief's job. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, husband, what else is the, the family life look like for you? Okay. Um, I have two adult children and one granddaughter. All right. Congratulations. And my children aren't in law you enforcement. You don't look like a grandma. I'll say that. <laughs> and my children aren't in law enforcement. My husband is with law enforcement, um, but he's retired. He retired last year. So, um, so he's finally doing it. When are you going to do it, Chief? I don't know. I'm going to do it soon. And you know what What he tells me? He he, he hates retirement. He told me, do it as long as you can. It was pretty much forced. His boss um, passed away. He was a constable, and he was chief deputy. Here we have constables. Okay. And um, they had an interim, and he didn't win an election. Another guy won. So in the constables, whoever wins, you come out, and you get rid of everybody and bring in your own people. So he was, you know, of course, he was at the point where he could retire. Some of the guys had to go find new jobs, but he, uh, he does not like it. He said, he said, I would have continued to work. He said, I enjoy working. So he is doing a little something now, you know, he's, um, he doesn't want to go back in law enforcement. So he's, um, working at the university, but he, he just, he said, just something part-time, just something to do. He says only so many projects around the house. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you can find some more for him. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah but yeah. I, I, my time is coming up very, very soon. So, um, okay. yeah. you know, but I have I a plan, though, feel, Chief. Got to huh? have a plan for when you, you got to have a plan for when you, when you finally pull the cord because you gotta don't want to be like him and say that you hate it. That you have retirement. Play. So, you know what I said I may do? Become a DJ. That's hey, the that's, what <laughs> that's the goal. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, because you know that's, that's what I see back, you know, back here, you know, on that side yeah. right there. You know, I'm a DJ uh, on the side. I'm, I'm actually starting to wind that down a little bit because I'm getting older and lifting speakers and all that. It's kind of, oh, kind of not like you know. Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, my so, goodness. Yes, uh, yes. No, you, but we can have rollers. Yeah, yeah. This is true, but you got to put them up on the. No, it's yeah. you know, I still do it. I still t- trust. You know, I got. I, I you know, I do lots of weddings. I don't so much do uh, kids' parties anymore because those kind of get to be a pain. Yeah. Uh, keeping up with all the new music that they're into and all that is kind of a pain. But, you know, I love it. You know, so if I'm not going to do it out there, uh, you know, I, I definitely still do it here in my studio and I have fun with it. But yeah. one of the things, I'm going to pull the cord in about four years. And uh, my plan here is to do this, you know, kind of yeah. you know, supplement the income with this and you know, have fun with this and maybe start streaming in, in other avenues. So got to have a plan, Chief. Got to have a plan. Yes. And I love this, what you're doing. I, I told you earlier, um, you know, it's um, necessary. It's uh, good and necessary. It so is. I, appreciate I, it. I just appreciate that, what you're doing, because it's educating and it's not only impacting externally, but you'd probably be surprised at how many in this profession you're impacting. And so it's, it's just such a, a necessary, a great thing that you're doing. And um, I applaud you for it. And I definitely am going to sign up so I can become a subscriber and watch on a consistent basis. I Thank definitely you. plan Thank to you. do that. Thank you. Thank you, Chief. Yeah, YouTube, Facebook, all those yeah. I mentioned in the 
in the intro there. All right. So, all right. So, uh, we are going to wind this down here in a minute, but you are not done. I got a, a little game I like to play with my guests here. So, let me get okay. this set up for you. Our game here is called... Uh, Listen to my heart go bad. Boot up. All right. So, this game today is called Boot Up, Chief. Boot okay. up. Okay. I was listening <laughs> I to that song, heard the song before. Today. <laughs> yes, yes. So what I'm gonna do is I'm going to show you some example. Here's an example here. If I say Barack and Michelle Obama, they are true booze. They are together, they're right. married, but they could either be, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, just a couple, right? Right. So if I say that, you say true booze. But if I were to say Snoop and Martha Stewart, you would say fake booze because you know right. In this, they're they're not together, and some of them may may be in this uh, this game here. Just people, I just I just threw it together for you to throw okay. you for a loop. So, true booze or fake booze? You ready? Ready. All right, here we go. So your first one here is Dwayne Wade and Gabriel Union. Are they true booze? Tr they are true booze. Well, yeah. wrong one. It's that one. Yes, yeah. they are true booze. Yes, they are married. They've been together for a little while now. Off yeah. to a resounding start here. How about your next one here? How about John Krasinski and Emily Blunt? I would them. say they are fake booze. Oh, wrong. They are actually together. I don't know if you know those two right there. Do you, you probably know I the know, faces. I, but... I see the faces now. I recognize <laughs> the faces. Yeah, yeah. All right. How about uh, Pharrell Williams and Holly Berry? Fake booze. They are definitely fake booze. I just threw them together. They are not together. They would make yeah. a good couple, though. That's a good yeah, couple would. right there, though. <laughs> How about uh, Quavo and Sweetie? You know them? Yes, but I believe um, Sweetie just talked about she looking for love. So I would say fake booze. You know, uh, that would be wrong, but I'm going to give it to you because they're off and on, off and on. But they are actually—they were actually a couple. Maybe this week they're—they're they're broken up. If you just heard that, yeah. <laughs> she, they were just but, talking about her yesterday, talking about yeah. she looking right, love. Let's, let's get that to you. Let's get that to you then. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, uh, last I heard, they were together. But maybe they're not. You know, you know how these rappers are. They. <laughs> anyway. How about uh, speaking of rappers? How about Fifty Cent and Venus Williams? Fake booze. They are definitely fake booze. <laughs> them together i think uh venus is actually married in 50 yes. you know, he probably now nah, he yeah. probably ain't getting married <laughs> no time soon at least now how about so. uh russell wilson and sierra oh absolutely true booze absolutely true booze. they everywhere too yes they look beautiful yes couple. yes yes and how about ben affleck and jennifer lopez yes they're true booze right now they are true yes <laughs> operative phrase right now right now <laughs> right now right now yes they are together they are true booze and uh how about the uh, jamie fox and mary j blige fake booze they are fake booze. i don't know if they've ever seen each other together mm -hmm. been together anything like that nah. but i just threw them together and uh your last one here how about jason momoa and lisa bonet hmm I'm Jason going to Momoa. guess and say true booze. Oh, that was a good guess. Yes, they are together. Okay. Jason Momoa and Lisa Bonet. Every every woman's uh, dream right there and every man's uh, <laughs> dream right there. 
and her daughter is beautiful too uh, she yeah. is she's very yes. pretty absolutely so uh you know what you got all just about all those rights so we gonna call you the all i do oh, yeah, is the winner All right, Chief, you, you oh, killed wonderful. that. You crushed it. Yes, <laughs> crushed it. that was a fun game. Yes. Yeah, you know your booze, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> know your booze. All right. All right, Chief, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, any words for, for the viewers and the listeners before we get out of here for you? I would just like to say to all of them, thank you so much for all of, the, all of you who were listening. Um, it was definitely a pleasure to be a part of the conversation and to share. And I hope I said something that maybe um, impacted you in a positive way. And I would just like to encourage you to continue to be your best self and be a shining light no matter where you may see any darkness. Uh, just know that you are somebody that can make a change for somebody that you would never think you could. So always um, try to stay real positive and stay focused in that space and want to make a difference. I think we all have our part to play because as I said earlier, we all have a purpose and uh, just don't forget that. All right. Beautiful words to live by. All yes. right, Chief Bumpers, I appreciate everything that you, you said today. And uh, you have a good evening out there in Houston, and we'll, we'll talk All right. soon. All right. Thank you. You got it. We'll talk to you. All right. Bye-bye. Yes, yes, yes. That is it, ladies and gentlemen, for this episode of the Black and Blue Podcast. I want to thank Houston Metro Transit Police Chief Vera Bumpers for her outstanding story and words of wisdom. And I want to thank all you out there for joining me on this episode. If you got some value out of it, make sure you like, subscribe, and share this episode on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. I'll be back right here in two weeks with another awesome interview. Same black time, same black channel. But till then, you already know, stay black and blue. I'll holler at you. Peace. This has been a Nature D Entertainment presentation.